Hello, welcome to show number 79 of CXO Talk. And today we are talking about higher education, innovation and transformation in higher ed. I'm Michael Krigsman, your host of CXO Talk, along with my fabulously friendly co-host, Vala Offshore. Vala, how you doing? Michael. All right. <laughs> and we are here today with the Chief Information Officer of Georgetown University, Lisa Davis. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I am excellent. And Vala, how are you? We're fantastic. <laughs> Looking forward to um, speaking to a brilliant CIO. So with, with that, Lisa, could you talk to us a little bit about your, your background and your role at Georgetown University? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Vala, uh, good afternoon, and I'm really delighted to be with the, both of you this afternoon. Um, I've spent my entire career in technology, 23 years in the Department of Defense, uh, the last three years of government service with the Department of Justice as the CIO for the U.S. Marshals, and for the last almost three years have been here as the CIO for Georgetown University. And at Georgetown, it really is a phenomenal place to be uh, a CIO for, especially during this time in higher education, I'm responsible for all aspects of our domestic and international information technology strategy, really leading IT uh, and business transformation across the institution. That's fantastic. Give us some context about Georgetown, the size and so forth of the school. Georgetown is one of the top 25 academic and research institutions. Uh, we are the oldest Catholic and Jesuit university um, in the country, uh, actually celebrating 225 years old last summer. We have about, well, our headquarters, our main campus is in the heart of Washington, D.C., but we have campuses around the world, including uh, in the Middle East with our campus, our School of Foreign Service in Qatar. Uh, we have about... 8,000 students, which include our undergraduate and our graduate lifelong learner students. Um, and I think, yeah, about 18,000 students. Oh, I wanted to share with you that some of our famous alumni uh, include the former president, President Bill Clinton, uh, Hall of Famers in basketball, which include Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning, uh, Mourning, and the King of Spain. So we have quite a prestigious alumni here at Georgetown. I absolutely remember Patrick Ewing and, and dominance in, in in basketball when he was at Georgetown. Quite I a do. He they went do. to uh, Cambridge, Cambridge Ridge in Latin, so you know, being in Boston, remember uh, Patrick Ewing and Ramil Robinson and others. So um, I read I read a blog where it mentioned your mission and it, it talked about seamless teaching, learning, and and research at Georgetown. Can you can you talk a little bit about your 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 mission and vision in terms of IT's role enabling this seamless ecosystem of learning and teaching and research. Georgetown, it was really about transforming technology uh, here at the institution. And as we look at what our future universities will be, what will be the university of 2030? We think of it in terms of this seamless, intuitive experience with our students between where they live, where they socialize, and where we learn. So how do we bring technology to the forefront? How do we enable technology to really enhance our current academic and research missions? And have uh, launched a five-year modernization strategy um, in which 
really from an innovation standpoint, cloud first, mobile first, how we tie in all of the disruptive technologies that are occurring today into the university today and as we build the university of the future. Sounds incredible. Uh, before we get into the details of your mission, um, you know, what was the motivation of moving from public sector to to uh, uh, to to Georgetown? Other than the fact that it's one of the you know obviously top universities in the world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had, I had finished a career in government. I had I had reached the pinnacle of my career after 26 years of service. Was really trying to figure out what was next for me when this opportunity presented itself, and I was really intrigued with the amount of disruption occurring in higher education today. Uh, we all know what those disruptors are: cloud, social, mobile. This anywhere, anytime, any place computing, as well as our forces that are impacting higher ed today. And Georgetown was looking for someone who would lead a transformation. I had led a transformation as the CIO in counterintelligence and at the U.S. Marshals, and I was really intrigued by these types of opportunities. Uh, the ability to affect change, uh, to have impact from really an enterprise institutional standpoint, and when Georgetown uh, opportunity presented, and like you said, Vala, uh, a world-renowned institution, it was really an easy decision. Absolutely. So, Lisa, you are very actively involved in educational innovation and thinking about the future of education and the business model of higher ed and so forth. Can you give us a little bit of a, an historical overview or, or a little bit of a, of a sense of what are the, the forces that are driving change uh, that are change in innovation today? What are the underlying forces? Let me put it yeah, that way. We just, we just talked a little bit about those. So we all know consumerism, right? So all the disruptive technologies of uh, mobile. And uh, we're probably, you know, higher ed is a great place to look at with 18,000 students on campus. All of those students are coming to campus with a mobile device. Uh, we know the need for mobile and Wi-Fi. We've seen a 30% increase um, in Wi-Fi connectivity in the, just the last 12 months, and that continues to grow year to year. Um, social really being at the forefront, and not just social from the context of Facebook or Instagram, but how do we integrate social into our enterprise applications of how we do our daily business? Social needs to be a critical component of that. Cloud technologies, you know, Georgetown over the last two and a half years have led with cloud technologies, with Google Apps, uh, with our ERP, we were the first institu institution to take our uh, HR, payroll, and finance into the cloud with Drupal and other cloud technologies. And like I mentioned, this anywhere, anytime, uh, anyplace computing. But in addition to that, it's also about who are our customers? this next generation of students that will be coming to our institutions, and how are we going to serve and meet the needs, which is really a personalized experience um, when our students, now these digital natives that are coming on campus, how are we going to be able to really meet their needs and, what, and meet their expectations as they've grown up with technology? And the last pressure would be, um, of course, that we all talk about, and that's cost. Right, the cost of education today, 
the rising um, cost of student debt. I think the average is twenty-five thousand um, a student. So, how do we address those, and how does Georgetown um, really embrace these disruptors and figure out who Georgetown needs to be for a future university? I think what what Georgetown what differenti differentiates Georgetown is that we, as a thought leader, try to leverage those disruptors that are occurring today and really embrace them um, into how we're doing business, having a shape how we think about our courses, how we embrace technology in those courses, and now doing a lot of experimentation, a lot of thought around the core curriculum um, and how that core curriculum will change. We have a question from Twitter from Christopher Kelly, and Christopher asks, does the university of the future contain walls or is it flat? So maybe asking the questions a little bit differently, what is the value of a brick and mortar institution today? Yeah, I think our president, Jack DeJoya, um, says it best, and he talks about the value of institutions today really being centered around three things. The formation of human beings, the ability to really explore life's most important questions, and then we do that for the common good. And I'm not sure there's any other, you know, any other institution that does those three things. So how do we embrace and stay authentic to that mission and our values as technology and these other disruptors keep really shaping us to build this future university? So we do believe there's value in a brick and mortar um, institution because of those things that our president talks about. And I think we're very um, open and adaptive to figuring out how do we embrace the rest that it's occurring. And I think this, this institution without walls is a really interesting concept. You know, we think 10 years out as we think about 2030 um, and this seamless, intuitive intersection between how we live, how we learn, how we work, how we socialize. Maybe it's not walls. Uh, you know, we talk a lot now, a lot about flipped classrooms where we're not receiving the lectures, but we attend those classes because it's discussion and it's practical application of the ideas and the theory that we're learning about in the textbooks. So things are really beginning to change. So when you talk about educational disruption, it's disruptive to your fundamental business model, isn't it, to the, the revenue and how, how you make money and your relationships to students and administrators, uh, faculty, researchers. So it's this this disruption in higher ed is is very pervasive through the, through the fabric, isn't it? Absolutely. There's a great quote that Forbes said. Forbes said that um, higher education is ground zero for disruption. And I think, Michael, what you just said, um, and that quote really sums up what we're dealing with in higher education today. Um, and the ability to embrace those um, and experiment and with changes in our courses and our curriculum and how we think about things, how we structure things across the university um, is all changing. And Georgetown has been experimenting in this, um, in this era, first with um, an initiative called um, in tech, technology enhanced learning where we had faculty uh, submit proposals of how they would embrace and leverage technology in the classroom. 
And then that has gone on to another initiative called Designing the Future University, where now it's not at a, a course level, it's at a curriculum level. So, you know, a lot of the data shows now that a three-year BA is eminent. How do we change what we do structurally to be able to support changes in a, in a traditional curriculum where a bachelor's uh, require four years um, to get a bachelor's degree? Can we do it in three years? Can we do a three-year BAMA? Um, if you think about the structural changes necessary to allow that curriculum to change, that's, that's really where the impact is. A lot of discussion with online learning, adult learners, and the revenue model brought together now with online learning and really catering to that adult learner. Can you talk a little bit about what may be perceived as competition, and indeed it may be Coursera, Khan Academy, um, uh, and 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 other massive open online courses that are that are that are uh, offered today. Yeah, Georgetown started. Uh, we have a partnership with edX, which is the Harvard um, and MIT consortium. So we began experimentation in MOOCs two years ago, and have put out uh, three MOOCs. We have three new MOOCs coming out in the fall, and we really did. Um, uh, a lot of analysis and research to find out what was the best fit for us in terms of experimenting with this MOOC platform. And it's interesting with MOOCs because, you know, if you think about it, the MOOC came out massively open online course in 2011, and MOOCs were all the rage. And I think even some said in 18 to 24 months that universities would be extinct. Well, uh, we're still here. We haven't gone extinct. <laughs> You know, MOOCs, MOOCs went afoul, there were some problems with MOOCs, and, you know, MOOCs have followed this traditional hype cycle. Um, it's almost a perfect hype cycle. So I think we estimate that in the year 2029, MOOCs will be back in vogue. But what's interesting what MOOCs taught us, and this is where the experimentation and the lessons learned really come into play as we start building and shaping the institution of the future, is the MOOCs showed us what parts of our curriculum were generic and interchangeable? And what parts could be pulled out from the curriculum and delivered at a lower cost? Mm. Such as intro to statistics, intro to biology, 102 level courses. And it really forced all of us in higher ed to think about how we would embrace and incorporate that as we start making these curriculum changes and building our universities for the future. Hmm. We, uh, we have a question from Twitter, it's an interesting question from Shelley Lucas, who asks, how does seamless learning, this concept of seamless learning, impact the curriculum? And she's wondering, in addition, are there more, is there a greater cross-pollination between and among academic majors? I think it's a great question. You know, first and foremost, you know, the technology has to be partnered with the pedagogy, right? So if you remember when we talked about online learning back in the 1990s with Blackboard and first online management system, um, very rudimentary. Many people think that online learning is viewing a PowerPoint deck online. And, and that's not what online learning is anymore because the technology now 
is about synchronous and asynchronous collaboration. Um, so that you get the feel that you're sitting in a classroom with your faculty member and your students can have, like we're having today, a conversation, um, an engagement on the material, questions, um, understanding of the material through online quizzes, um, and, and really leveraging the technology and the data to see how are our students doing in the class. So I think, you know, you can't talk about technology uh, without talking about pedagogy, and I view technology as an enabler of that. It's not a substitution. So how do we leverage the best of technology into our teaching? Is it through the use of crowdsourcing tools? Is it through um, 3D simulations of what technology can bring to bear to really um, enlighten um, and make the uh, subject material that much more interesting and easy to understand. So, I mean, you, you, you hinted at this at the beginning of our conversation in terms of social is more than just use of, you know, social collab, you know, social tools like one would think Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, but you have this social collaboration tools within the enterprise, perhaps Will we see unified communication technology like video conferencing, social collaboration tools like Chatter and Yammer integrated with your CRM as part of what the foundational needs are in order to have a successful online curriculum where you can actually not only learn uh, but, but collaborate in real time with uh, whether it's students or, or, or faculty and others? Is, yes. Do you need a community to make this come to life? Yes, I believe you do, and we're starting to see that already. If you take some of our platforms, like the Canvas platform, the ability to hold a class, the ability to collaborate in real time, um, engage in the material, the technology allows that to happen today, and I think that demand will continue to grow. So for us as technologists, we need to think about how we continue to integrate all of our applications, our services, and our capabilities. So it really is delivered from like a, from a single pane of glass, right? You know, right now, how do we log into things? You think about our core applications, uh, our learning management system, our student system, our financial systems. You know, all of us, it, whether we're in a company, in an organization, an institution, we have our administrative systems, we have our mission and our business systems, uh, we have our systems that do our email and our calendar and our collaboration. How do we make that a single pane of glass for our customers and our users? So they don't have to log in separately to different applications, so that they integrate seamlessly from a back-end infrastructure standpoint. And um, the GUI seems to allow them to move from one app to another and to collaborate between these different applications. I think that's going to become more and more prominent with cloud solutions, mobile apps, this intersection is going to occur. And you're embracing uh, cloud apps for your internal enterprise use as well. Yes, absolutely. We have a cloud-first strategy. So when it comes time to modernizing an application or looking at a solution um, that we need, we always think cloud first. Uh, we have been leading in cloud, um, cloud platforms from a higher ed perspective. We, like I mentioned, we were the first 
higher ed institution to take our ERP into the cloud with Workday. Uh, we have Drupal, we have Google. Um, we uh, think about more and more of our core business applications moving into the cloud. So we embrace cloud. Um, and of course you have to take those precautions, right? So when we think about cloud, you need to think about where your data is. You need to make sure contractually that you're protecting your data and, your, and all those things are considered and also how that cloud solution or platform is integrating into your overall architecture. Do you have a sense of all these changes, all these disruptive megatrends of mobile social cloud, how, will, how it will impact the business model for education? I think it will have a tremendous impact and we're already seeing the impact. You know, our students, um, they expect that intersection of social and mobile. Now, you know, I think I saw a um, statistic last week from Adweek that students check their mobile devices 43 times a day. <laughs> I was actually going to do a test to see how many times I check mine, and I think I might be more than that. So I was a little worried, but I, I do need to actually do that test of how many times I'm checking my device um, every day. But, you know, even though students are still bringing a laptop to campus as the number one device, we're still seeing. Um, a growing, a growing, um, uh, growing uh, number of mobile uh, and tablets being brought to campus today. So, so absolutely, I think it will change the business model, and it's forcing us institutions to think about how do we embrace it. And it goes back to those structural changes that we need to make in how we do business. Um, how we think about the business, how what curriculum that we offer, which also impacts then the cost of the education as well. Sure. We have another question from Twitter from Zachary Jeans, who asks, what is preventing the adoption of MOOCs? Is it regulations, the financial business model, something else? What's, what's in, what are the obstacles to adoption of MOOCs? I think what we're still dealing with in MOOCs is certification. So MOOCs are, MOOCs are currently still free. Um, and it, I think uh, Coursera has begun some certification on MOOCs. So certifying the courses, applying a credit to the courses, and then having universities embrace those courses for credit from whoever that vendor or platform may be. If you think about it, that requires major structural change, right? Um, right now, a university like Georgetown, and I'm sure like many universities, they accept credit from certain, certain other higher ed institutions that got to meet a certain criteria, and certainly I'm, I'm not an expert on what that is. But just being able to uh, adapt and open up the ability to accept these courses from MOOCs that may have a one, two credit, or three credit, and then how it is integrated into the curriculum and programs um, that we have here at Georgetown. So I think once that is figured out, then you're going to see that gate open wide, wide very wide, as forcing universities to accept credit from whether it's edX, Coursera, Khan Academy, Udacity, you name it. Sure. We have another question from Twitter from uh, Arsalan Khan, and Arsalan asks, 
what did you learn at the U.S. Marshals that you use today at Georgetown? <laughs> no, as the CIO of the U.S. Marshals, uh, what an incredible uh, organization. If any of my friends from the U.S. Marshals are listening in today, um, really the unsung heroes, I think, of law enforcement. And, and I miss the men and women of the U.S. Marshals uh, greatly. Um, I think what I learned, and, and really in leading any transformation, um, is really understanding the mission. Understanding the mission of the organizations that you're serving, understanding the business of what they do. Um, being a great partner and listener. Um, you know, I was fascinated by the work and the mission of what the U.S. Marshals do and figuring out how could, how could technology make their jobs easier. How could we make the marshals more efficient and more effective at what they do? And that's very similar to what I think of now that I'm in higher education, is how does technology enable our academic and research missions? You know, I think a lot about how do we build a faculty toolbox? So what that toolbox is comprised of tools that make that faculty member or professor the most efficient and effective faculty member that they can be. And we think about that in terms of our students as we develop our services and our capabilities and we modernize our applications and we build our mobile platforms is how do we enhance the learning experience for our students? How do we personalize that experience? And I think that's where you'll see institutions go more and more and what will be a differentiator. Because technology today in a higher ed, you know, at, at one point maybe technology made you have a competitive advantage. But technology today is table stakes, right? Even to be relevant and to be competitive with the top 25 institutions that we like to compete with, our technology has to be really enhancing the learning and the academic missions of the university. So that's where I see the parallels, is really trying to figure out as a CIO and as leading IT organizations, no matter what company or organization that you work for, really understanding the business and the mission and figuring out how technology can really drive and enable that even more. We have another question from Twitter. So let me ask that, and then I'd like to come back and talk about digital transformation, which I've been kind of itching to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but first, but we defer to our uh, viewers first. And so the question is from David J. Hinson, who asks, how do you govern cloud services and billing among all the university departments, such as Adobe, uh, send mail, whatever it is. How do you govern cloud services and billing among all the university departments? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. It's a complicated question because most higher ed institutions are very decentralized. What we've been able to do at Georgetown, what really helps is centralize a lot of our core services and functions. And that includes um, centralizing our billing. So I'll give you an example of an initiative that we're currently doing, and that's manage print services across the university. So we had a print function that we really wanted to, one, modernize, bring mobile print to our students, at the same time improve our sustainability efforts, and, and, and the third thing is really to drive cost, find those cost efficiencies. And 
if you think about managing a print um, HP um, Xerox print services across the the university, first and foremost, we needed to centralize. contracts across the institution. So we centralized all the procurement and brought them into one contract. We've done very similar things with wireless. We did similar things with our ERP systems. So I think the more that you can, uh, more that you can centralize the governance, the billing, the procurement, and all those aspects of their systems, it makes it much easier to bring in those new cloud solutions. Terrific answer. Great. Terrific. So, so now, uh, let's talk about digital transformation for a moment, which in one sense, you that is what, the, that's the challenge that universities are facing today, is how do we take advantage of all of these digital, internet, web-based technologies? So, so tell us about the link between digital transformation and cultural change inside the organization? So I don't think we can talk about digital transformation without thinking about cultural transformation because I believe they go hand in hand. We think about, you know, and I have a hard time believing this sometimes, that what it was seven years ago that the iPhone was released, and we look at um, the generation of smartphones that really have changed the way we work, how we do business, how we socialize, how we live. And when I came to Georgetown uh, two and a half years ago, we had zero mobile presence, um, which was hard to believe. Uh, today, we have 35,000 students, alumni, and faculty engaging on our mobile platforms, right? We think about our change in the use of cloud platforms and software as a service uh, and social platforms. Um, none of that would have occurred. I don't think that innovation occurs unless first and foremost you deliver and show results and you provide the basics. I'm, I'm a big believer in first things first to, to make sure that IT is delivering um, on whether it's keeping the networks running, uh, delivering Wi-Fi services, uh, making sure that our applications stay up and running, and beginning to build that uh, trust that IT is no longer a service provider, but IT is a partner. So I don't think you can talk about innovation or digital transformation until you're doing the basics, right? So we focused a lot on doing the basics and building upon those successes and delivering a record of results and performance. At the same time, we leveraged these digital disruptors that our students were demanding, and we were bringing them into the fold as well in our modernization strategy by, by delivering a mobile platform, and then figuring out where we engage with our students. So not making those decisions in a vacuum, but embracing our really our stakeholder community and our students to help us figure out what is important to you on these mobile platforms. Hmm. Um, and here's a perfect example. You know what's important to students, and you, I know you probably um, you probably won't believe this, but one of the most important apps to students is Laundry Alert, <laughs> <laughs> right? Laundry Alert and where the next guts bus is. So where <laughs> the bus is and coming to campus and how long they're going to wait for a bus, 
right? But we've really involved our digital transformation in our mobile platform. We do gamification with new student orientation. We've been piloting a mobile identity uh, with our students for two-factor authentication and access to buildings um, and dining halls and into their dormitories. Um, so, you know, one of the newest things we've done is brought a, an app called Campus Quad to, camp, uh, to our campus, which takes all of the flyers on, like, event management and brings in um, brings them into a mobile app with a social collaboration piece. So GPS tracking. So as I'm walking across campus or around Georgetown, I am now aware of all the events that are happening around me. So and I can participate in those events. So you know, digital transfer digital transformation is really at the forefront um, of what we do and how we embrace that into our technology strategy here. I was recently uh, talking to CIO of Oral Roberts University, and at Oral Roberts, uh, they're using a um, combination of um, student uh, retention uh, analytics uh, software package and a wearable, very much like a Fitbit uh, wearable device. And they are communicating uh, student success metrics to, you know, to, to the students on, on, a, on a wearable device. And I thought that was fascinating because it was a combination of, you know, uh, analytics and, and, and business insight aimed at improving the students' um, ability to, 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 to successfully complete courses and delivering it seamlessly on, on a wearable device. So when you think about the Internet of Things, which is another uh, real trend, uh, we've talked about mobile, social, and cloud. What are some of the things or how do you think wearable technology will impact um, IT and, and the way you plan for the future. I, I am so excited about wearable technology. So I, I think I've tried every type of Fitbit on the market. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm looking forward. I think I might be actually first in line for the iWatch uh, <laughs> when it comes out. Right. So I, I think the uh, Internet of Things is going to have a huge impact. Even if, if we think about the Internet, Internet of Things um, from a campus and facility perspective, um, sidewalks, um, uh, being able to detect temperature or ice changes so that there's a heat that's automatically activating. How do we use sensors in our buildings um, if, uh, to detect uh, that there's no longer any people in the building so we can turn down the temperature. Some of these devices are already being used in our homes today. And we're starting to look at these devices um, really from a sustainability standpoint of how we can incorporate them into our planning and into our facilities. So again, that merger of technology with facility planning um, and how that can have an impact, and certainly an impact on uh, revenue, of what it takes to keep many of our institutions. We have we have buildings on our campus that are over 200 years old. So any opportunity that we can leverage some of these Internet of Things and some of these things into our, our buildings um, is a great opportunity, and we're beginning to do that now. As for you know personalized devices, I, I think what you the example you gave me, Bella, was really interesting. I mean, we use data, for example, with our new student orientation with the mobile app. What events are they attending? How are they communicating to one another? And we're really interested in uh, 
how we embrace, how do we do better decision making with data? We, we will be delivering our first uh, BI and analytics platform next week, our first data warehouse. Wow. Partnering with Salesforce to think about a CRM from an enterprise standpoint and how we pull that data thread from undergraduate to graduate to alumni and really capture the data that is occurring and being kept, whether it's in spreadsheets or uh, individual databases that's not in our core data systems to really give us a better picture of who our customers and our stakeholders are across campus. So I just think, you know, with personalized devices, with the Internet of Things, we're just going to see more and more of that coming to our campuses today. Hmm. We have another question from Twitter. We love getting questions from Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> keeps us all on our our, our our third co-host, virtual co-host. Our third, yeah. vir that's yeah. right. Twitter is our third virtual co-host. So this is from Tracy Zimmerman, who asks, "How are you using technology to help drive or support student success? And do you have strong internal academic partners?" We have very strong academic partners. So technology cannot do this alone. Um, you know. Technology, as I've said many times in our conversation today, we're a partner, we're an enabler. Um, the faculty, our academic, um, our, our academic ac academics have to figure out how we work together and really bring that technology and infuse it into our classrooms and our curriculum. So I, I don't want anyone to think that technology does this alone, and we absolutely need strong partnerships. Uh, to be able to do this on our campuses today. And I forgot the first part of the question, Michael, if you wouldn't mind repeating it. How are you, how are you using technology to help uh, support student success? So what are you doing for the students? Yeah, what's, what's beautiful about the online platforms today is it really helps the students track their progress and it helps the faculty track the students' progress as well. One of the reasons we did the experimentation with the MOOCs and the partnership with edX is we really wanted to understand and have access to the data of how do people learn? How do we improve the learning? How do we improve student outcomes? And we're very interested in that data that we're allowed to gain from our MOOC experimentation as well as our online platforms today. So the beauty of an online platform, if you think about it from a student perspective, is once that lecture is recorded and we post our lectures on a tool called Lecture Capture, you know, how many times when we were in school, we would sit in, the, in, a, in a classroom and try to scribble down the notes or record the notes of what the faculty member or the professor was saying. The beauty of the technology in the online platforms today is that lecture is captured for me so that I can repeat that lecture as many times as I need to to maybe understand, better understand the concept of what was being discussed in class. If I was absent from class, it allows me the ability to have access to the class notes and the lecture that was given in the class today. It allows me to collaborate with students, and maybe not on campus, but create study groups. Maybe I'm creating a study group globally um, um, of how those students are perceiving the content, and we're learning from each other. So that social collaboration piece is hard. But again, it's the data that we have 
that really helps us understand is the student learning the material? Am I being successful teaching the course in this particular format or method or how I'm delivering the information? Are my students being successful? Um, do I need to repeat material maybe because I'm seeing that the success rate is not, um, comprehension rate is not where I want it to be as a faculty member? All that is now capable with online platforms and that's really exciting for our students of today. You know, it's clear, Michael, when we talk to successful CIOs like Lisa, um, operational excellence, like you said, is at the foundation. You can't have innovation, you know, if, if, if you don't have a robust, highly available, highly secure network and that, infrastructure. That's Kim I mean, Stevenson's term from uh, the CIO of Intel. Yeah, absolutely. The foundation of operational excellence. Operation. But then when you talk about successful CIOs like Lisa in higher education, Often, when you talk about success, they talk about student retention, student acquisition, fundraising, innovation in the classroom. So, I mean, what is, Lisa, what is the role of the CIO? I mean, I, the last 40 minutes, it's like I'm talking to a chief digital officer. You're talking about mobile and social, cloud, collaboration, data, internet of things. You know, very little mention of infrastructure, but that's that a given. Gonna, uh, yeah. What, you know, so, so, you would think, if you didn't know who we were speaking to, that we may not be talking to a CIO. We might be talking to a CMO, a CDO. So, uh, so, yeah, so what so, is the role of that? And then we need to ask your advice for other CIOs. Absolutely. So. Yes. You know, I think the, the role of a CIO um, has changed dramatically. You know, we're no longer just the chief infrastructure officer. Um, to be a successful CIO today, you have to play many roles and you have to wear many different hats. Maybe that's a chief integration officer. You're the chief innovation officer. You need to be a chief digital officer. You have to understand and know these technologies and you have to really broker those partnerships with your stakeholders um, across your companies, your institution, institutions. So absolutely, um, you have to be a jack of all trades. Um, and I think that's what makes the job so fun is that it's not just about IT being a service provider. IT today are brokers, we're, we're partners, and there's not a company today that technology is not a critical component of what they do, um, and how they much embrace and enable technology to really drive their businesses. Um, we do the same exact thing in higher education, is driving those successful student outcomes, um, Driving the advancement function, you, miss, you mentioned, Val, a really interesting, you know, from an advancement function, we finally understand that that data thread from prospective students to alumni is so key in improving our advancement functions. So, yeah, we play many, many different roles. Lisa, we have only a few minutes left, and, you know, we have more questions from Twitter, but you'll have to come back and we'll get, we'll answer those, yeah. those questions. But, you know, I talk with CIOs in higher ed, and in some cases, the institutional leadership is, not within IT, but outside IT, is not as willing or as flexible as your institution is in terms of adopting cloud and other technologies. And so you can have a situation where the CIO really wants to do this, but there's organizational resistance. What can you suggest to a CIO who is in that kind of very difficult situation? 
Well, I think the beauty, you know, and that's the beauty of Georgetown, right, is Georgetown's a thought leader in these spaces, and it allows me the ability to experiment and really drive technology and innovation across our institution. But if, you, if you're not in an environment that allows that, I would say first and foremost, we start with operational excellence, right, and we already mentioned that. You start with operational excellence, and you start with learning the business and really establishing those key stakeholder relationships and those business relationships. Once those partnerships are formed and you are operating at that level that you should be, then you're really having now the conversations of IT as a business partner. Now do you understand their business? How can IT help you with what you're trying to do, drive your business outcomes, make you more efficient and more and you're effective in your business. And I would say you don't have to boil the ocean. You know, many times, you know, everybody thinks you have to do everything at one time. And I would think you start from an innovative mindset, right? How do you incorporate innovation into the business? Can you start with small, small steps with that particular business or stakeholder? And then really show some results. And then build upon those results to establish that momentum in your companies or in your organizations. And as you build, and this you know, this goes back to John Cotter and his, you know, the famous book on change management, is that you know, once you build that momentum um, and you show results and you show business outcomes and you show that you're making a difference, I believe that you'll have more and more people uh, standing in line waiting to partner with you. We're just about out of time, but shall we take one more question? Absolutely. A question from Mitch Lieberman who asks, uh, is it possible that in some cases technology is getting in the way or preventing in-person collaboration? Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting question because I actually view it as technology is enabling that in-person communication to happen anywhere, any place, at any time. So look at what we're doing today. We're having, you know, a face-to-face, -face, you know, in-person conversation. You know, whether it's FaceTiming with my children, Skyping or FaceTiming, um, synchronous collaboration within the classrooms. I think class. I think technology is actually doing the opposite. It's allowing us to do that more and more. All right. Well, I think on that note, we've run out of time, and that was a very, very fast 45 minutes. It really was. It really was. It really was. So thank you so much, Lisa. We have been talking with Lisa Davis, who is the Chief Information Officer at Georgetown University, and I'm not sure whether we've lost Vala. You you have me here in at uh, least in voice. <laughs> oh, so so we have the disembodied Vala to uh, say goodbye. And Lisa, I hope you'll come back and join us another time. Absolutely, I look forward to it. Thank you so much. And for everybody who's been watching, thank you so much for spending an hour with us or 45 minutes with us, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye bye. <laughs>